man, it's been a couple weeks, but you know how we do. This is the Council Connection. I'm your host, Baby and Vixen, on today's episode. We have a very special episode with Steve Sharper and Caroline Perry, friends of the show. We are discussing how comic book movies, like, or comic book television shows as WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier relate to the school council profession and things we see as school counselors might accidentally give some ideas for t- uh, teach pay teachers so just ignore them if you hear them uh, of course my housekeeper items and my final thought on the summer this is the part of the show I say let's go Council Connection. I'm your host, Fabian Vix, and I got a very special episode and a couple good friends, friends of the show. Uh, we got Caroline Paris from California and Steve Sharp from Pennsylvania. Lady and gent, what is the business? What's going on? <laughs> Not too much. Dr. Perry, congratulations. Counselor Educator of the Year. Woo. Thank you. Thank you. We need to monetize that. Need, uh, it's business cards like Cash App, Cash yeah. App, Dollar Sign Caroline. That side hustle, right? Yeah, I was actually really appreciative that your people were able to let us book with you directly still. Like, I, I thought it would be a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad, you know, I was able to fit this into my schedule, my busy sleeping engagement. How, how, how long have we been trying to put this together? <laughs> About two months. About a couple months. Two, three months, yeah. Yeah, we just said, it, you know, we'll wait till Winter Soldier ends and then we'll go ahead and put something together. I'm just glad we got where on it. For those that's listening to the um that's gonna be listening to this podcast, this is actually the one year anniversary when we recorded last year. And right in the thick of the pandemic, we talked about Watchmen. So we decided to do our anniversary on a couple of different shows. Well, we're gonna we're gonna if you know us, we're gonna flow right in, in between different shows and how I relate to school counseling and DEI and so forth and so on. And most of the time I'm quiet because I'm taking in all the information. They might make me speak, but if you don't hear me talking, it's because I'm listening and learning. That's one thing I keep telling you. When I listen, when I have podcasts, I'm learning just like you all are. So now we got that formality out of the way. Also, you can find the podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Overcast Podcast, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And after you listen, I need to do all that. But um, anyway, I actually I was driving past and someone was selling out like mixtapes of your podcast out of the trunk of their Chevelle. It was really impressive too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's they didn't have my consent, but I would like some residuals on that if they, if they, if I could get it. So those bootlegs, it's always the best stuff. That is, yeah, because you get the remix in there, you get the Diddy remix. You get the, <laughs> but it, it won't stop, can't stop. Eh, eh, eh. Okay, anyway, uh, Fabian, congratulations! I see that you're in the number two school counseling podcast right now. Yeah, I, I guess I guess so. I want to know who told that lie, but we appreciate it. I'm just 
just for the people. Like OJ said, get the people what they want. So that's, yes, that's, that's what I'm learning. I'm bumping into that quote a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, which show are we going to start with that we're we going to start on? We got a couple. I think we got three, four different shows we're supposed to talk about. Which one you want to start with? I don't know. Like, I feel like this yearbook edition where we're just kind of doing the year in review. Why don't we start with, like, I mean, like, really, is our year not with students and schedules? Why don't we start with TV, uh, WandaVision? Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, WandaVision, nine episodes. It dealt with a whole bunch of everything from grief to imposter syndrome to DID. Uh, you got multiple personality schizophrenia. Um, y'all take it away. Yeah, I'd like to just point out those Dr. Perry all along. I got Dr. <laughs> Caroline, what do you think of the show? Uh, how'd it go for you? I mean, I think it was, I loved it. Um, I think as most of kind of in the beginning, people were kind of like, you know, where, where is this going? It kind of was very different from the traditional Marvel storylines um, in the beginning, but I think it did a really good job of um, touching on grief and trauma. Trauma was a really big one, um, you know, that collective trauma and how we deal with or don't deal with the trauma that we've experienced and how it manifests itself in unintended ways. Um, I think was really a big theme towards the end. Yeah, I mean, like, just from my experience, like, as a counselor, I was really interested, I mean, both with this and actually Falcon Winter Soldier, as far as, like, the sensitivity that they really took to tell uh, those stories when it came to grief, loss, trauma, and the secondary effects, whether it be, like, depression, anxiety, or PTSD, like, mm-hmm. on people like that, that's, that part, I, I mean, like, that was just, that was counselor gold, I was like, oh, give me all of your suppressed feelings, and you're processing through connectedness. Yes. Um, no, but I mean, it really resonated to me. I mean, sh- shout out to the production team. I Like, it was funny too. Like, I'm not sure about you guys and if I'm revealing my age. Like, I, I grew up at a past 8 p.m. Nick at Night kid myself. So, like, it, like it hit those notes to be watching their shows at the time. Me a lot. So, it, it was nice. I got to engage my nephew with it. He's 13. So, we got to kind of, like, watch it together a little bit. It was fun just kind of to go through the mystery together. I you know, like I think like that part I really did appreciate just a chance to kind of like just in that whole meta experience like watch the shows I used to watch with my family around me at the same time but ha- still have it be a new experience. That, that was really refreshing for me as far as a watching experience. But yeah, I think at the same time all of us going through like this pandemic experience this this like collective traumatic experience. I also think there's a lot to be said about that at the same time. Yeah, I, I, I agree, agree with both of y'all on that, especially, um, I'm, I might be repeating in a different sense, but with especially when we go back to Mandalorian or go to uh, WandaVision, it, Disney is teaching us how to watch TV again. It yeah. gradually is forcing us to like, don't, don't binge it because you're going to mess yourself up for a whole year now some shows you can binge it like you know if you try to catch up with a season, um, couple seasons to get your get the current season but to me on like, this it, it taught us how to rewatch tv how to enjoy it just to set aside time in the day for like i know wandavision comes out when i get off work at five i get home at 6 30 i'm watching wandavision at seven 
now the one per character we haven't discussed so to me is uh, Monica Rambo. To mm-hmm. me, she's when I know we we just started, but that's one character we haven't talked about because she came back from the snap and realized her mom was dead, and that's she's we haven't seen her really grieve yet. So when the Marvels come out in a couple of years with um, possibly Blue Marvel, Miss Marvel, and Captain Marvel, we probably might see some form of grief and anger. Um, and all the all the signs of grief come out, especially on uh, Carol, because Carol could have did something or did anything, but we just haven't seen her grieve yet. We saw her go right back to work, we, just on the grieving part. And basically, she lost her her, her she should have been the head of of Sword when she came back. But she wasn't, which we'll get into DEI, but that's a little bit later, something different. But just just seeing that she didn't grieve at all, but that's coming. That's just a little take I see on from uh, from her. Yeah, and I think it goes back, like um, Steve said, that connection to what's happening with us now with COVID, right? Like we don't, many of us don't even have time to grieve. Like we have to just jump into the work, whatever that is. Um, and to deal with what's going on in, in the moment. Yeah, I was fortunate enough, um, probably right around February, I got to work with some counselors at our neighboring district. Um, one of the first active public educators to die, not one of the, the first public educator to die in our state due to COVID, um, was in the neighboring school district. So I got the chance to sit down and talk to like those, uh, like a lot of her colleagues it was, it was a really interesting experience just kind of hear their story because it was like, what, what do we do with our grief during this pandemic? Like, what do we do when it comes to uh, like our work of caring with, for other people, caring for children, and at the same time, like trying to care for ourselves. And like that narrative was, at least in part, dedicating yourself to the work that is our collective experience, caring for other people. And also, I think, also, one part is just rely on the familiarity of the work to kind of move us forward. And so, like, it's something that continues to resonate, kind of particularly for, I think, for me, for just educators in general in this pandemic. And I think particularly for educators of color in this pandemic as well. I mean, it's just the, the ongoing tension between wanting to provide support, wanting to be engaged, and also trying to deal with our own trauma, grief, and loss at the same time that might be a continual basis at the point. And I think as you're both saying, like whether it be for the parallels of both Monica and Wanda, like are we even aware that we're in kind of that ongoing cycle at the same time? And like, what are other people's perspective as they're watching this happen from the outside? I, I think those are really questions that just kind of in this conversation now, it's, it's hard not to reflect on. And one thing I can see for next year, Especially with um, when we get back to some former normalcy, I could see actually WandaVision being a form of small groups. So you can use each episode as a um, as a lesson. You do your pre and post test and see what the kids learn about it, and see see if they they notice the signs in themselves, what they dealt with, or what they can learn from what Wanda dealt with, and how she handled it into the end. So that's that's something I'm thinking about, possibly thinking about doing next year. Because some of my eighth grade teachers, I'm eighth grade counselor in my building. Uh, one of my, my math teachers was actually well, they were watching WandaVision during lunch because our bell schedule was different and it was 45 minutes, so they get their lunch. They come back and watch watch WandaVision or watch Disney Plus some episodes to there. So I see that as possibly being a tool for small groups now for uh, for uh, for kids. I even listen to you. You're right now like 
I'm going to have this amazing group that I could have monetized on Teachers Pay Teachers, but I'm just going to give away for free right now to everyone. <laughs> see, I, see so I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think about that. I'm just, like I said, about the content. Now, I'm going to have to delete that part out of the show now. You know, so, for next year. Look at that. Yeah. And right now, like, the union's talking to that teacher watching Disney+. Plus. <laughs> no, no, a lot, a lot, no, they're not in trouble because a lot of the everybody in the building was doing it because let's think about yeah. it, kids in there about forty five minutes, so you just you just can't sit there just for forty five minutes. Give them something. They watch some kids are watching uh, Disney Plus. There some some teachers were playing Different World as far as giving college career readiness HBCUs. <laughs> okay, so, so I mean, I mean that's another thing you can do also. But I might have to delete that part about the um, small groups because <laughs> yeah, get it on TPT before before you play that. That's great. Yeah, like the one part of that I really bumped up against um, when I was watching WandaVision when it came to Monica was just like all this conversation as far as the engineer and people were like, it's going to be Reed Richards. It's going to be the Blue Marvel. It's going to be Albert Einstein. And then like it was um, Major Goodall or Goodner, Goodner, Major Goodner. And they're like, it can't be her because she's... um, character who's i was just like a lot of people were like just the dissonance of just having a, a black woman as an engineer of a, a space probe and like that just being okay with the story like i think it's one of those things where again we're, I, th- I think we're gonna revisit it later in the conversation but like writing stories in our minds anticipation instead of like engaging in what is in front of us and responding to it I, I think there's a lot to be said about that, just not just in our uh, viewing lives, but in our professional lives and personal lives as well. Let me ask you this before we move on to um, on to the next next show. With the with the CARES Act being uh, passed in all the states, are you guys uh, implementing mental health facilitators in your building? I know Caroline, you're in a college. Are they doing anything anything along those lines for for colleges out there in California? Um, I'm, you would think I would know what, what's happening at the college level. I know there's funds. Um, so our governor just did the May revised budget and actually that was just this last Friday. Um, and he's designating 1.1 billion to, um, education, which is huge. Um, and one of the things he specifically said was increasing um, so student supports. That was what he specifically pointed out and, and for example, and then said counselors, um, which is huge. And so we're seeing um, a big influx of hiring of school counselors um, across the districts over here. One district's hiring 130 um, to try and get a one to 250 ratio. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of them are bringing in um, social workers, clinical social workers, and then it works differently here in California. So clinical social workers, and then our school-based social workers, school counselors. Um, yeah. So they're really pushing it here. Some of my favorite people there. Steve, what are they doing in Pennsylvania with the care? So they... Uh, I think that's still, I mean, a lot of the disbursements are starting to happen to districts. Uh, Pennsylvania is a local controlled state. So a lot of those decisions can actually be made down the district level. Uh, With that being said, I've heard a lot of promising conversation happening on a state level. And uh, PSEA, we've been actively 
uh, trying to get in front of as many legislators as possible to help them to better understand our roles and how we're uniquely positioned to help students throughout this pandemic. Um, whether it be having a school counselor at every level, a school counselor in every building, talking about ratios and absolutely our use of time. So uh, one thing that we've tried to do uh, is really provide our legislators the understanding of what a school counseling framework would look like. Uh, Pennsylvania is a state that doesn't have a framework clearly define what school counselors do in our roles. And so that's something that we've helped to draft. Shout out to Adam Oldham on that one. And that's something that we've actually been trying to provide to legislators and to other parties, just so that they can more clearly understand the work that we're doing and how that needs to be better codified so that we can do more instrumental work at this time. And so that's something we're going to expand. But yeah, as far as mental health facilitators, uh, there, I mean, there are two different things I'd like to kind of say about that. We were on an, a state leaders call about that last Friday a little bit. And just my concern, at least in my state of Pennsylvania, let alone nationally, is just like the mental health system, like many of our systems, it's, it's not working. I think access to any level of care, let alone some of those base level care, is becoming increasingly restrictive as well, just because the system's being over. And so we really, as far as what those return on investments look like, and does it look like preventive strategies, which have been demonstrated to be pennies on the dollar investment for those outcomes, or is it on more expensive end-term care or mid-level care like facilitators? I'm just not convinced about that. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at, I'm, I still keep it with my old county, uh, Bibb County. I, of course, I work in Henry County, so I'm looking at both districts, how they're uh, doing the funding for Henry County. They're assigning a mental health facilitator in every building, which is also okay. Just hopefully those people have the training and just not like mm -hmm. somebody, like a, someone who wants to, I won't get into that, but let me, let me hush before I keep going. Uh, they're going to have a higher mental health facilitators in every building, which is going to be kind of good if they have some type of training or something. Uh, they're also using the funding for data clerks. You probably think like, why you need some data clerks? Well, let's think about it. You know, as a school counselor, we're not supposed to do any type of data entry or stuff like that. So that person will actually assist the registrar in those duties as far as helping with some forms of scheduling, FTE, uh, parent portal, that type of stuff. So that's a duty lifted off our, our plate right there once those people are fully implemented. Uh, as far as the mental health facilitator, it might be some double redundancies because we have an in-house social uh, school social worker. So mm -hmm. you have so it's going to be a double redundancy. We have a graduation and coach. Redundancy. And it could be a double redundancy. I'm done with and my work. Be, Thank you. And it could be a double redundancy. Yeah. And and we have a graduation coach. So basically, you have something, somebody in the building. You got and the person that's doing academic piece. You got two people for social emotional, which means possibly we might be doing majority of career stuff, even though we're trained in all three of those areas. So that might free us up somewhat, but at the same time, that's going to take away from what we actually do. So, you know, the mental health facility, it's not going to be a permanent position, of course. It's basically like a grant-funded position when you look at it with the money they give because the, once that money runs out, that person will be out of a job. Yeah. So unless, the, unless they uh, up, up the budgets and assign positions like that in the building. Yeah, one of my concerns just um, is, like, when we talk about it, um, what I appreciate about school counseling is that we are 
interdisciplinary. We actually represent our work, you know, like in so many different ways to make meaningful impact on students. And I think that value add can be more easily dis- demonstrated if you just take it the completely other way. And let's talk about it strictly from a mental health standpoint. So we understand like uh, the U.S. Armed Services uh, was really ha- has had historically high numbers of suicide compared to the general population. Those numbers were soaring for a while, particularly when we talk about 10, 15 years ago. One specific practice that happened was uh, like, particularly if we're talking about like trauma-related experiences, is increasing the amount of screening being done. And so the Marine Intercept Program took the United States Marine Corps, who was having the highest suicide rate, and took it to the lowest rate. And the way that they did was training not just their all their professional staff, so their legal staff, their financial staff, their clergy, everyone was trained when it came to suicide screenings so that they would understand when presented with a risk or concern, they'd be able to do that warm handoff. Because again, what we understand is that people who are in crisis aren't having a mental health problem. What they're having is a real life problem. And in that real life problem, that could present itself in a lot of different ways. And there are a lot of different points to intersect and support people at those points of crises. And that's where I think we as school counselors are uniquely positioned because we have so many different entry points, skills and training and ongoing professional development and support to make meaningful impact on students' lives to support them through any crisis that arises. Or separate to that, what we need to talk about really when it comes to the application of these dollars is just a fundamental piece. If you look to the American Recovery Act, the American Rescue Act, uh, clear language, like most of the support is being dedicated to learning loss. And that's a that's very specific language that we need to actually capture and embrace because what learning loss means isn't that we have deficits with students or their families. What we have is an, an unequal education system that you need to simply go from one neighborhood to another or from one zip code to another, and you're gonna find very different educational experiences for our students, different districts that have different levels of support and staffing and resources to provide students so they can either continue with their learning approximately on pace or we're questioning if not if those students are gonna have enough to eat at the end of the day. And this is very clear, that's not learning loss, that's an unequal system that can't accelerate all its students equally. And so if we're talking about the application of the do- those dollars, then we need to talk about how those dollars have been disequally applied in the past, one being school counselor ratios. That's an excellent point, Fabian. I appreciate your yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, I've been doing that all year on the mute. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm through, I'm sick of Zoom. But I remember this one last year, we talked about zip code racism. I remember this on the same podcast with you. We talked about the same thing you just said, zip code racism. We talked about the discrepancies as far as zip code, zip code, zip code. So um, double, double redundancy, double redundancy. Uh, but it's still there. And Corona just made that more apparent and more um, overt. It's just, it's just crazy. We, we said these exact same things last year, and yet the government still hasn't figured out a way to to, to minimize this. I know it's not going to go be eradicated all the way, but it's just, it's important to me that we, go ahead, Caroline, go ahead. Yeah, I think, um, you know, touching on what Steve said, even when schools are funded, right, so we're also local control. Um, how are districts allocating those dollars? I know 
just last spring, a student advocacy group looked at their district's plan, right, their budget, um, and found out uh, an insane amount of money was spent on um, police officers. And in California, that certain categorical pieces or funding pieces were supposed to be spent on foster youth, English language learners, um, and students on free and reduced lunch. That, specific, that money that was specifically supposed to be towards them was going towards policing on campus. And so the question is, how is that supposed to close achievement gaps, opportunity gaps, when you're using that money on resource officers or police officers? Is that really in the best interest of students? And is that what's gonna help them versus using it for a host of other things, right? Tutoring, school counselors, um, anything else that the students might be needing. So. It's not just the, the unequal portion of resources, but who do we give these resources to, right? Yeah, and I think, I mean, just bringing it back to like the, one of the big premises of WandaVision is this thing, like let's, let's talk about that for a second. Like you have an ability to create a world of imagination to suit what you feel to be your ideals, but if it's still not rooted on the principles that you know are going to be right or correct, how long is that sustainable before it all falls apart? How long is it even not just sustainable, but even you're able to, to be tolerable? And so when we talk about like these things in our educational sphere, or when we talk about them in our financial markets or any of these other pieces, what we're talking about is the disequilibrium, the, the disparity that's happening is creating such strong disparity, such strong upheaval that it's just not sustainable. Um, yeah, I mean, like these things we can break down to like just basic economic principles, basic educational principles, but really it's just saying sustainability matters for so many different things. And that even includes, again, short-term short gains or what is convenient. I agree, I agree with everything you said. I just, just wonder what we're gonna do for us next year, the year after next. Um, I'll go back to examples of the district. While well, old district, they're uh, they're adding, of course, academic coaches for every school, but they're also adding in dean of just dean of students. It's basically somebody to do write-ups, which is a waste of the money to me. But if somebody really wants to be an AP or get some type of leadership, they'll jump in that role. But the problem is, though, is it really worth it? All you doing is the write-ups for the AP, so they can actually do walkthroughs and uh, evaluations and stuff. That's that's what all that position really is. But that's not that's my old district, so I can say what I want. Uh, one one other thing we also got to look at. We say next year is going to be the year of looking at what kind of gaps we really have when we're back in the building. I say look two years from now. So I would say next year, but I would say two years. You're gonna. I think you're gonna see even more dr dramatic gaps in two years. Next year is gonna be bad, but I think it's gonna be even worse in two years. That's just me, Steve. What you think? Yeah, I, I mean, like our best example of what has happened uh, as far as a local, uh, a local iteration is actually looking at Katrina. And I've been having a lot of really good conversations. If you look at that research, it should give you a lot of pause as far as but the ongoing mental health and trauma experiences and some of the academic experiences for those students as well. And at least one study that came out in 2018, half of those students that were in the New Orleans public schools were retained for at least one year. That that doesn't and now let's just take that, extrapolate that to scale and ask what that's gonna happen as far as the ongoing uh, progression of our students and our education system moving forward. There are really clear ways 
that we can say our education system is not working how it's intended to be. And uh, to the ultimate way, like in this conversation right now, I aspire for my students to have a great experience so that I can hand them over to Dr. Perry where they will truly thrive in the professional world. But what we understand is between last year and this year, looking at National Clearinghouse data, over 500,000 students, over half a million students dropped out of the post-secondary system. Our first year students going from high school to college, like that was a 25% decline. That's almost a decade's worth of decline of college admissions at this point. Our pipeline has never fully worked. We looked at disparity of students of color, uh, especially, I mean, like it's not worked the way that we've attended. And now we can say pretty clearly look at this data, it kind of looks like it's broken. And so like, what do we do to fix it? Or do we build a more effective pipeline? I, I think that's a real question. And the reality is, I think in what, I, why not imagine it? I think like when we talk about these TV shows that entertain us, like, you know, like we've all been on them, like you've been on Twitter, you've been on the Facebook, you've seen how much time and energy people have invested into these conversations about these people that have been drawn with colored dots and ink lines and like, that, that's just all imagination. And so I think really we can apply all these different talents and skills and energies to reimagining what our education opportunity for all of our kids could be. Very good points. Well, I just have to, because we're back in the wait and see and I hate waiting to see. I want to see, have something in place. Well, yeah. go ahead. Are you about, you say something, I'll say something else to you. No, it's just gonna make crap up, but we can make it. <laughs> I want to move on to Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, I have mixed thoughts on this show. It's six episodes. I wish we would have got eight, maybe nine. There's some. There's more. There's a lot of opportunity to um uh, to exp expound on Sam's story and Bucky. But uh, I'm gonna start with Caroline on this one. What are your thoughts on on the, the series with uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier? Um. So mixed feelings on it. There are pieces I like, pieces that I kind of struggled with. I think one big thing that came up for me were um, like imposter syndrome, and then on the flip side, inferiority complex. Um, what do you do with power once you have it? Right? How do you wield that in a way that's beneficial for not just you, but for others? So, yeah, I think that's that Falcon and Winter Soldier is one. I think I was already thinking you could do lessons on and, and have topics, um, even just classroom lessons, right? What about ethics and power and, and who is in position of power and who isn't and whose voices are centered? TPT, we'll put it on TPT, Caroline. <laughs> I'll add that to my to-do list. Steve, what's your thoughts on uh, Yeah, I think instead of TPT, we do like a Peloton channel on the workout montage. I think that would be beneficial too. Like push-ups, jogging, frisbee toss, all that thing, all those things. Because I think you'll just find a higher return on investment on Peloton than you will on TPT. But I, I don't know, to be honest. I get out of breath when I, I walk to the fridge for more food. <laughs> <laughs> you like um I, I like Falcon Winter's Soldier. I, I liked it a lot. I mean, like the first episode, I think 
I, here's what I struggle with, which I, I'm glad I stuck it for the end. Like, I wasn't sure if they were – I think Falcon Winter Soldier, probably when I was being drafted and designed, um, was going to be forward-thinking, aggressive, and pushing the envelope in the conversations like it never had been before, particularly for a Disney or a Marvel product. And I feel, though – since 2020 and 2021 have come by, I still find it to be a little insufficient at times. I thought that they were able to recapture some of his pieces in the last few episodes. Um, I, I like like the question as far as imposter syndrome, like I had to argue with a friend and talk to him about what imposter syndrome was. And they were like, why didn't he just take the shield? And I think there was a, a conversation of like, just that kind of juxtaposition of like, should I be the one to champion this? And at the same point also, like, is this what I want to champion? I think for, I mean, like for all of us on this call, especially though, I, I think the question is like, um, like, I think as like black educators, I think that's something that we're, or I'm sorry, educators of color. I think that's something that we're faced with on a regular basis. I myself, oh, go ahead, Caroline. Yeah, I think, Speaking to that, like um, Bradley, right? The first black Captain America. Mm. You know, the question of what what do I lose when I take this on? And how does it hurt, you know, how am I harmed in some of this work and advocacy work and equity work? Because we get shots put at us too when we start to call some of these things out, right? Yeah. I was doing a, I was having a conversation with anti-racism and in a webinar recently and someone had just thrown that this doesn't actually exist and they disappeared from the webinar. I was like, uh, you know, might actually stick around. I'm gonna try and make a compelling case. Uh, but like one of those things is too, like, um, like I, I feel confronted and we've had conversations, particularly when we do talk about like computer science and stuff like that, particularly like, is it really imposter syndrome to like, feel like a system is pushing it back against you. Like you don't want to, like you shouldn't be there. And then like, that's actually, that is how the system was designed. That's not imposter syndrome. That's you recognizing the adversities and the systemic inequity of the systems that some of us try and work or thrive in like you folks. So like, that's one of those things too. Like I, like when I look at some of the story, I'm just, I, I see some of that present. I just think I wish they would have given a little bit more voice to it at times. Um, and then, yeah, the Isaiah Bradley story, I was glad that they were able to highlight that. Um, I know I wanted to see more of it, but I was happy they didn't show it. Like that last scene was like, just like the, the I was like, oh, that's so cute. You guys almost did a Smithsonian scene, but this looks kind of like low rent, like epic fails. I was like, that's great because that means you are holding off on doing a flashback images because you're going to do your own show or something later on. That's how I read it. If you're not getting the actual scenes, if they haven't invested in that, it means they're waiting to shoot it in the future. And Fabian, I think they're trying to book with your people right now to at least do some test footage. Yeah, those, those these cats, man, these, these kittens just um, they, they, they were, they're on Internet 500 in my DM, so Treating my dear like the NL 500. I think Al Unser, the fifth, is in the lead right now. But, um, but, um, 
a couple of different scenes that, that I take from Wild Falcon and Winter Soldier. You go to episode one with uh, Sam's with his sister in the bank and couldn't get a loan. And what shot was Tony Stark didn't pay none of these folks. I'm thinking like these folks, Sam really, he was a group therapist. Think about it. He's a retired, uh, retired military doing small groups. Wasn't paid for that. He had to go back to work in the Air Force just to make a living and couldn't even get a loan on his name just for to help his sister out. That's, that's, to me, that was hilarious, but it's real life. But to me, in that sense, that kind of was a little bit lazy writing in a sense, but we can get into the lazy writing part anytime. Um, talk about, I, like Isaiah Bradley, I'm, I've, I've, I love comics. That's one storyline I didn't never never knew about Isaiah, Isaiah Bradley. I could see them creating a series with that mm-hmm. if they wanted to. Um, you, you could deal with him, how he had extended grief loss anger he he had he, he's the epitome of of of, of compassion syndrome he's the epitome of all five steps of grief in one person where he where 40 years of his life was taken away with his wife um never had kids so you, you lost talk about a generational loss right there with just him with being being operated on and being in the, the dark you can look at bookie having a realization with him and Steve when they were talking about giving Sam the shield and didn't realize we just thought Sam was the right fit and didn't take into account how would a black man carrying a base lip hate to say the word white man shield was going to look in present day in 2020 was a 2025 America because they're five years past the um, snap so 2025 which is funny because we're still looking at um, people of color trying to do jobs of that same race and, and the funny thing is, and how are we going to have a Captain America to always get beat up that can't fight? We ain't going to talk about that. Nobody talking about that right now. How are we going to have a Captain America that can't fight? I need him to do better. I need him to do better. You see, he did push-ups. He was running and throwing things and stuff. He and did still, And still got beat down. It took a couple bullets from uh, Sharon Carter to, to, to save him, and he still get beat down. But that's neither here or there. I see. I thought they were trying to play off of that uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier scene at the end, where it's like, you're like, I'm not gonna fight you. Like it's it's a it's a comic book trope. I'm not gonna fight you. I'm not your enemy here. I'm I'm taking the more higher ground. Um, you you still you still get beat down by Batroc in the in the finale. Yeah, the so, French uh, accent got me there. Like you know, just circling back for a second, what um like. Uh, Truth, Red, White, and Black. It's a great story. I'm going to spoil it for you and the listeners right now a little bit because it's a really interesting parallel. Um, Rags Morales wrote it. I, I remember reading it probably like a little bit after college or something like that. And so like, particularly if you've seen like the first like Captain America, the first Avenger movie, it's a really close parallel. Like um, Captain America disappears after World War II and they need to recreate the super soldier serum. And they have a great idea of how to do that. They're going to use black soldiers to do it because that works for that time and so they start experimenting with different iterations then it kills off most of the black soldiers and then they have i think like seven that survive and these guys have swole goals they're looking like young fabian vicks they're moving around and essentially um they are running some missions just to uh test their field abilities and they get captured and so now they're going to keep, 
Isaiah Bradley in because he is the only viable subject and they're going to bomb the camp that these super soldiers are captured in to get rid of any potential weaponization of the research that they've already done. And so he breaks free and goes and saves these men from the camp and then comes back instead of being lauded as a hero, as happens after like Captain America in the first movie is lauded hero after he goes sees Bucky and all those guys from the Hydra base, his reward is to go to jail for the rest of his life and be tortured. So I think there are great parallels for a Disney plus or a movie or something like that. Um, but in addition to that, like what we understand is that really parallels like the black soldier experience. In addition to that, like after World War II, uh, the GI Bill provided economic opportunity for a lot of soldiers. It created, again, funding for higher education. And in addition to that, like reduced loans for housing and that nine, none of which was available for our, our servicemen of color. Like, because again, higher, higher ed institutions weren't integrated at that point. In addition to that, our federal government restricted housing through the FHA um, when it came to either insurance or loans, let alone would a bank lend to a, a black man. And so then it seems like opportunities to build the American class was only for certain Americans at the same point. And so like, we really need to, like as much as there's a very clear iteration of the Isaiah Bradley story in Falcon the Weir Soldier, like there have been like countless, like millions of invisible Isaiah Bradley stories or I guess thousands of invisible Isaiah Bradley stories post-World War II for soldiers who sacrificed a lot only to come home to America that gave them nothing. For anybody that's listening to the podcast, if you want to get, get more experience on that, watch the TV show um, demo on Amazon Prime. Uh, I bet me and my wife and my uh, oldest kids watched that in one night. We watched all 10 episodes in, in one night. I think it was, I want to say we might have been on spring break or might have just been a Friday night. We were bored. Watched all ten episodes. Uh, it get to put it like this. It gets tiresome after episode six, but I'm not going to spoil it. But it does deal with, uh, of course, grief, loss, uh, of course, racism. Deal with uh, GI bills in there. Do you do you have zip code racism? You just have you do a lot of stuff you just said, Steve. So if you haven't watched it yet, watch it. You'll get tired of it after episode six or seven, but I'm not discouraging you from watching this 10 episodes. So just give you a fair warning. So, or, turn, or download Counselor's Connection <laughs> you can get all this and more. <laughs> well, y'all gonna have to walk me through this um the coat Superman and the Snyder cut. Walk me, walk me through the um the the Ta- coat Superman. Um, tell me about that one. Yeah, Steve, you'll have to take the lead. I didn't know about that till you mentioned it. Yeah, let's talk about because I I mean it brings us uh full circle. So happy friends anniversary. So, Tanisi Coates uh, is is a prominent writer. He's a prominent journalist, known for his work in the Atlantic. He did a really great piece too called. Uh, in Between the World and Me. It was a National Book Award winner actually before uh, Stamp from the Beginning. It's an easy read. I make all my grad students read it. Um, you can watch it on HBO too. They're, they do a teleplay of it and it's it's fantastic. It's beautiful. Um, and what we understand at the same time is that um, 
like one of his seminal works in the Atlantic, which is probably still free to download, and I encourage you to download it as a case for reparations. It talks as far as walking people through his lived experience as a black man in America and America's struggled and often covered problematic history when it comes to creating racial trauma. This work became central to uh, many people, including Damien Lindelof, who upon reading this, this became the foundational piece for his work in Watchmen is why Watchmen takes such a strong anti-racist approach. So also what we understand is that uh, Coates is also a huge nerd, like many of the people on this call right now. And like, with that being said, like um, he did a lot of distinct work. His work was foundational to uh, writing the Black Panther and a lot of those uh, story elements became part of the Black Panther movie. And then he's currently doing a run in Captain America that I can't really speak about. But then he was drafted, he was uh, recruited to write uh, the next Superman movie. So the next Superman movie that will come out um, won't have Henry Cavill, even though he's dashing and does a lot of CrossFit workouts and stuff like that. Um, the next Superman movie is going to star a black man and have a black writer and probably, it sounds like a black director as well, according to recent reports. And what you saw come out in this conversation as these reports come out is they're race swapping, they're race baiting. This isn't Superman anymore. They should do another Superman. There are other black Supermans out there. Uh, there's, and so like they point out things like there's a comic book character, um, Calvin Ellis, which is Superman from Earth 23, being Michael Jordan, based off of Barack Obama. And it's like all these big caricatures of like prominent black figures to be this version of Superman. But like the question is like, why, why can't Clark Kent be Superman? Like it's one of those things again, where we put so much passion in personifying these, these characters who are really based off of things like imagination, which are based off of things like fiction. And we want them to hold to like these certain ideals we have. And more often than not, you see people vehemently and passionately pushing for these ideals that seem to be white centric. And one of these things I find as far as being the funniest irony is like Superman in and of itself was meant to be a play on the Nazi Ubermensch, the Nazi Superman at this point. But then two, uh, two Jewish comics writers then decided that they would take on for themselves to create Superman. And so like any chance that, any chance that there is, I think, a pushback as far as recreating a fictional character to be something very narrow and specific to ideals and values that we hold, I think is one, the antithesis of the character, but really questions as far as like, as we're talking before, can't we just take those same energies to reimagine just about anything that we think is actually more concrete and real? Our education system is just rooted in ideas and practices in that all that can easily be changed or erased or rewritten again. And the question is it a black Superman? Is it a superwoman? Is it a super them? Like it could be any number of those things. I was very excited to see a He-Man uh, cartoon is coming out in, I'm sorry, Masters of the Universe cartoon is coming out in June, July. I saw someone post on the interwebs, I'm no longer He-Man, I'm They-Man. 
I was like, that, that is great. That's awesome. I kinda, I'm kind of excited about it, but if I had to pick a black Superman, I don't, I kind of don't want Michael B. Jordan mm-hmm. because he plays angry very well, but I don't want an angry Superman. I'm currently lobbying. There's a change.org petition for Brian Coleman. <laughs> oh, boy, that'd be crazy. Okay, let me ask you this, Caroline. Um, I know. If you had to cast, if we're going by the, the reports we're getting with um, with Coates directing Superman and writing in and all this stuff, who who would you have played Superman and what villain and who will play that villain? So I know we do a lot of this on our Marvel group, just discussing who will play what role. And we read if we read um redid a show, who will play what based on just on the reports we're getting for for Tanisha Coates and his his version of Superman. Who would you want? Who would you see him? Who see playing Superman? And the main villain you use the first one, and who will play that one? Um, I kind of feel like they should cast an unknown. I think, you know, taking away any preconceived notions of who the actor should be or like who kind of fits this is, it would help that. Like, let's imagine someone who we don't, it goes back to that reimagining, right? Like of um, preconceived notions of who fits this idea of Superman and what Superman should be and look like. I think I'd like to see them just cast someone completely unknown. Steve, what about you? Same, same yeah. thoughts. I'm gonna co-sign with that. I mean, like there were some conversations just circling back to uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier that I know, like on some of the uh, nerd threads, like I saw trending. I was like, you know who they should? They should cast Ray Fisher as a Isaiah Bradley. That would be a great at you for DC. And like there was a conversation of like if that movie for Truth ever gets made. Let it, let it be someone new. And the reality is, like, when we talk about it and we talk about entertainment, like, entertainment is our imagination. There are tons of real lived experiences that can add to any story that we can imagine. In the same way, I think we're resident as educators to embrace our students' lived experience, to embrace, like, to be vulnerable, give up that control, and embrace our students as they are, and let that be one of the standard experiences when it comes to our policy making, our curriculum, and our decision making. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to co-sign. I think there are great opportunities for us to, again, to embrace the people who are out there living their real lives. And let that be anything from our colleagues to our counselors to our supermen and women. Or that. If I had to uh, advocate for the villain, I would say Idris Elba for Lex Luthor or uh, got the name. He just, he just other or, or uh, John Nawasu. For uh, Lex Luthor, that would be bold men. Bold men, yeah. They're already bald. Uh, last one, Snyder Cut. I know everybody watched it. That was four hours of epicness. That was the movie we deserve, but we didn't get in the theaters. I thoroughly enjoyed staying up to one thirty in the morning on a school night watching the Snyder Cut. Did you mark yourself safe on Facebook after that? <laughs> I forgot to because I was scared of Granny Goodness at the end. I really was because she looked like she's 
that was a that was a great take. I would have loved. I ain't gonna lie. Only time we seen Greater Goodness was on Smallville season ten. I don't mean to spoil it for you, Caroline, but go back and watch Smallville. Go back and watch all the Smallville. Believe me. <laughs> uh, but so just the difference. I'm gonna I'm start on this. Just the difference between the Josh Whedon versus the uh, Snyder cuts. Uh, Josh Whedon was, of course, he was broken in. Of course, we know from Firefly and Buffy and this writing on Roseanne and Marvel. So he basically, to me, I'm trying to put this in a politically correct word term without losing my license on uh, Aaron. He butchered it. He butchered uh, Josh Whedon's movie. No, I mean, he butchered Snyder's, Snyder's cut. He butchered it. We would, I would have sat in the movie for four hours to watch that. I would, I would have sat in the movie for four hours to watch it. Yeah, I I hear you. Uh, like here, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna just talk because Caroline will have the actual correct answer after me. <laughs> like uh, four hours of like I understand how the studio freaked out because a four hour tracking movie means that you're only getting half of the ticket proceeds in the end for every sold out theater, and that's why they freaked out. And then at the same point, like. I very much can see uh, I can see Zack Snyder walking with, particularly for movies that are going to be so special effects heavy, and seeing how visually distinct his movie was at the four-hour cut. That means that he walked with all of his storyboards and primary early development uh, visuals when he left the film project, and that's why they weren't present anywhere near the the 2017 cut. So. Whedon didn't have two years to develop visuals. He had a walk on and start shooting a movie. With that being said, like my biggest struggle is like the stories that come out after this. Like I, I like Buffy. I like Firefly. I like, uh, I'll be honest, Team Angel, not Team Spike. And like, like having these like diverse team, these powerful women in stories. Like I, I enjoyed that. I found that refreshing from TV. And then to have all these other stories. That, evolve as far as like the real Joss Whedon being more present or the modern Joss Whedon being present like I, I really like uh, that's disappointing for me at the very least and then uh, like it's the struggle of like Joss Whedon was able to create a feminist narrative that a lot of, like again I think people were able to champion and really use in very deliberate and good ways and yet like the man himself is very fractured and flawed at the same time and I think at least from an anti-racist perspective it is like can you embrace the complexity to take some elements of it and still like disparage and look and call out the work that's happening now, how you treated like Gal Gadot and Ray Fisher and like really the commoditization of power and not recognizing like the people that are in front of you. Like, I think there's a reasonable conversation as far as like drawing the distinction between the two, even if it feels problematic. Okay, Caroline, let's get the great answer. So I think one of the things that came up for me was, you know, looking at or just listening to what Snyder had to say about just the whole experience and the pressure from executives and profits, right? And what happens when there's two different visions happening on the same project. And so when directors aren't allowed to enact their vision for what could be and where their priority is versus executives priority, kind of like you mentioned, Steve, right? I'm, I'm losing out on profits with a four hour movie. 
Whereas with Snyder, he, he's looking at it from an artistic perspective. Um, and so what gets lost when, when these two visions don't align? Which kind of reminded me of school counselors and administrators, right? When school counselors aren't allowed to do what they do, like, let me do what I do. And when that gets whittled down, what's the end product? Yeah. And I think uh, before I say anything else, uh, for anyone listening, uh, I'm sure that they're still uh, taking donations at AFSP.org, the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, uh, which is where a lot of the proceeds and money were raised towards the Snyder Cut mm -hmm. after uh, Zack Snyder's daughter died by suicide. So if you have a couple extra bucks at the end of the school year, I think it's going to go to a worthwhile cause. Like that, that tension is present um, as far as I think efficiency and I think vision, I think that that tension is absolutely, I would co-sign president between administrators and school counselors at constant. I think there's a real question as far as like for us on this call, I think for people who are listening, like what, what does that tension look like in our profession within our profession right now? Because I think we're at one of those crucible moments where we are really as a profession questioning what we are going to look like in the years ahead. I, I think there's a, and I think like Fabian, you were talking about it too, as far as like the mental health facilitators, the counselors, like what's your role in careers? I know like Caroline, you get to shape the way that the future of the profession looks in very distinct ways. And frankly, you got celebrated in all the best ways for it this year. And I think we get to do that here in Pennsylvania too. And the reality is like, I do think we're at some sort of crucible moment for what we want the profession to look like is because I think the challenges that we are facing right now, as far as like, being the vision for our students in the future is it's not been seen like this before. I think there are great initiatives as far as diversifying the profession, diversifying what it looks like. I think that's one piece of it. I think there's also just a fundamental re-understanding of like what kind of super men, women, or super them are we going to look like in the future as well. I think that it can be a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be one thing, but I think we need to make sure like we're willing to embrace the process of imagination of creativity and be iterizing what school counseling can be, what education can be. I have fun tonight, guys. I don't know about y'all. I told you I learned something every time I talk to y'all. I learned something every time I interview folks. Y'all had a good time. You can tell a lie if you want to. I love, I love geeking out with y'all. I look forward to our text threads in these conversations and can't wait until we hit stop on the recording and go binge Invincible together. I already started last night. I'm on episode three and I think I'm halfway through the episode because I was falling asleep because I was tired. So, but it is, it is interesting to say the least. It's interesting. You have, have you start, you haven't started yet? I haven't. I uh, I'm in finals week with last week, so I've been in grading mode. But now I get back to binging. Yeah, take about I think it's what four episodes, Steve. Uh, I think the show's like eight episodes. Eight episodes, okay. You know, it's kind so, of funny too because like just talking about Superman, like there was a really like what Ray Fisher did a really tough burn piece on. Uh, Jeff Johns, who is producing a current Superman sh show with a more traditional representation of Superman. Uh, Superman and Lois? Yeah. 
Oh, we'll post about that tonight. Like, it's hard to watch. It it really is, just because there's a real lack of representation. Even, like, for a show that has Lois in the name, Lois doesn't do much in that show at the same time. And I'm just... I, I think at this point... I think at this point, one... I want a more authentic representation of everyone in my shows. And it's not just for token diversity at this point. It feels more authentic. More so when we talk about like the work that we do, like we walk into our jobs in different capacities every day. And it's all hands on deck all day, every day for 220 days a year. And to have characters that are sidelined or are non-existent in roles at this point that don't show the breadth and diversity of engaging to do the work to whether it be with magic or superpowers or techno suits or vibranium or whatever, it just doesn't hit with me the same way. If it doesn't seem like it's a broad and diverse representation, because I see that happening every day in real world in insurmountable circumstances. So like, I'd like to see people imagine it that way too. Yeah. I agree on the lack of diversity on that one. If you see any of, person of color they're usually portrayed as a villain for the few episodes that i did watch um I, my wife say like she asked me like you don't watch this with me i'm like no i'm not gonna watch that because i'm, I'm used to i'm like i'm tom welling i love tom welling that if you talk about lack of diversity that's the epitome of lack of diversity but it had a better storyline or whatever but it's more true to the character but like you say this is egregious lack of representation on this show and if you see people of color you see them as villains you um i don't want to give away for anybody has watched it so I'm gonna keep my clothes. So. What's the biggest nerdery you all are looking forward to in the near future? Loki. Loki and Black Widow. And surprisingly, Shane Chi. Caroline, what about you? What you looking forward to this, this year for uh, the nerd out on? Um, I don't know. I, I've been Honestly, I've been all in work, so I need to catch up on everything. <laughs> I need to catch up on life. You're like, I'm going to binge on sleep, on nutrition, on socialization. <laughs> These are my favorite shows right now. Right. Yeah. I, I have to co-sign on that. Like, I, I don't even, like, um, we're laughing, uh, green rooming, because, like, yes, like, like Fabian and I have been binging on uh, Big Bang and by Ben I mean it's playing in the background while my laptop's on my lap I'm just trying to figure out like what to prioritize next and then I'll jump on Shang-Chi hopefully sometime in summer yeah, that's September the 6th I think is the um, drop date in the theaters hopefully we'll be yeah, I have summer. time to get caught up and clear out my calendar that... <laughs> I don't know uh, Eternals I, I mean I have, they showed like 10 seconds on the Marvel thank you to theaters and I want to like I want to see more it's Eternals, Shane Chi, Black Widow. We should have got Black Widow five years ago, but it's neither here nor there. But uh, I got a feeling they're going to try to bring Natasha back somehow. Uh, I don't think they're going to bring her back, but it's neither here nor there. Uh, they Caroline filmed that Steve. movie so long ago. She's a gray widow now. Ha! Gray, 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 brutal widow. Gray, brutal. That's right. Carolina, Steve, I want to thank you for hanging out with me tonight. I really do appreciate it. We got to do this again, hopefully in a shorter time than a year. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yeah, here's the yearbooks and season finales, but it was great talking to you guys as always. Thank you. Uh, we'll be right back. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll be right back with my housekeeper idols on the, on the council connection with Baby Bix right after this.
say we're going to take a small hiatus over the summer um we're going to take a, take a quick little break we're going to come back at the end of july most likely um we're going to try to record one or two more shows but then take a take a break and come back in july ready to go um i have a new role with gsca this year and um in the next two years excuse me where i'm going to be doing podcasting i believe and using that as professional development for our members so that's going to be pretty exciting, and it's going to be a new challenge. I think me and, me and John Nawasu are going to be collaborating on that. Uh, I'll get some more details when I go to LDI in a couple weeks. So that's pretty exciting to, to venture on something that I'm already doing and doing it for our, our, our state organization, and that's that's great. And I just just hope that it, it, it can go further to ask. I know they do a podcast. I just... You know, I just love talking, advocate for my profession and my colleagues, as well as administrators, students, and teachers, and parents, and various stakeholders as well. We will be right back with my final thought on the summer, right after this. Dave's final thought. So, as you can probably tell by my sound, I'm driving right now, and I'm excited about the summer. Um, we're still in a pandemic, of course. I'm coming from Farmers, and I'm just thinking about so much work that has to be done right now as a school council, so the scheduling right now. We're, um, let me back up a little bit. We have our eighth grade crossing over ceremony in a couple days, and Having, having, in, having outside in the uh, high school stadium. Um, our our eighth grade class has 446 students and 266 are participating, I believe. Which I can't, can't blame. No matter what they did this year, we're still celebrating them for at least going through the eighth grade year. I know, right, this is the time of year where teachers are tired. Thoughts on futurism and education. It's never stopping. It's never ending cycle. Like, 
pros, teachers, or para pros, or MOID teachers, or IR teachers, or counselors, administrators, district personnel. This is a time this year you should really take a break. I'm ready, ready to go after a couple of days, you know, just not that type of person that's, that can take a week off and just, you know, just not think about work, but I know I'm going to be in this time with our family and seeing some different things this summer, um, plus I'm a 220 employee, so I'll have two weeks off for access when I come back on my contract day, so that's going to be an early break.
have to reheat it up three, four times in the morning. Enjoy your cup of coffee. You want to drink too? Hey, do you. One thing is this the podcast. I want to thank Caroline and Steve for popping in with me. And I'm out.